Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Got a good one for you this week. Buddy of mine who has spent a great number of years in media. He's done television. He's done radio. He's worked with some of the best. And he spent the last probably 20 years of his career working in Louisiana here in Baton Rouge. George Sells. George is uh, one of the good guys in media. He's a grunt. And, you know, in this business, you find people who don't mind getting dirty, doing the dirty work. And he's one of those guys. He was also a teacher. You know, he taught a lot of the young talent out of journalism school how to get it right. And we became friends almost instantly because of his sense of humor. He's just got you just got to know how to take him. (laughs) Because the first time you meet him, you're like, okay, is he for real? And then you realize he's just one of the nicest people that you can ever meet. And he cares so much about getting it right. And you'll get a chance to hear that for the people in the South Louisiana area who can remember George. He's been retired for a few years now. And he'll give you a chance to hear where he's been, what he's been up to, and the first of a couple of conversations we're going to have with George. Uh, In this first part, he talks a lot about how he got into the business. He talks a little bit about his family and his background. He talks about his philosophy about doing the job, and you'll hear some of his sense of humor. And I can warn you before we go into this, this is probably one, at least at parts of it, that you don't want to be playing on the loudspeakers at work. And if you've got little kids in the car, there is some profanity, not really any vulgarity, but there's some saltiness because you'll get to meet the guy that I've known as a personal friend for over a decade now from the time that I contributed uh, on WAFB when he was there to uh, other conversations that we've had off the record and away from cameras and microphones. I, I'm glad to call him a friend. He's a good guy. 73 years old and still kicking strong, George Sells. And that's on the way in just a moment here on the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Hopefully, you've already hit the subscribe button. And if you have, the show is popping into your iPhone or iPad or MacBook podcast app. It goes into there every week. If you had not, what are you waiting for? Hit that subscribe button. Let us know that you're out there. If you're not using an Apple device, you can go to the uh, website podcast225.com and you can get it there. And that way it's easy. You can listen to it, sync it with your Bluetooth in your car as you're moving around or as some friends have told me as they work in their yards or are going about their business during the day. They listen to these shows and they enjoy it. I also enjoy the feedback from you guys. I get a few, uh, you know, I guess, what would you call it, direct messages on Facebook or comments on Twitter about the show, and I try to reply to them all. I appreciate the listenership. Spread the word. Tell people about the show. We talk about real things. We talk about politics, and sometimes we talk about foolishness, and we get to meet real people. It's basically, as I've told you, my digital front porch, right? Sitting on the front porch, the only thing missing is a jug of some adult beverage, And for those of you not from the South, ask some of your friends to explain the whole philosophy of a jug of something to you. I'm sure they'll be happy to do that. Now, Warriors for Freedom on the weekend of May 30th and 31st and June 1st. On that Sunday, May 31st, smoke them if you got them. That is a cigar and wine mixer at Ben 77 Bistro in Perkins Row. Now, tickets are $100. All of the money benefits Warriors for Freedom. You'll get a t-shirt. 
you'll get a cigar, a couple of cigars. You'll get a chance to be a part of the tasting. The sponsor, the title sponsor of the event is Orion Instruments here in Baton Rouge. In addition to uh, Orion, Jameson is a sponsor. That's right. Jameson, Irish whiskey, Jameson, you know, Jameson is a sponsor. Pest Stop, do-it-yourself pest control is a sponsor. Rebecca Creek Distillery out of Texas is the sponsor. And the Rebecca Creek girls are going to be there. This is all about raising money to benefit our military heroes by way of Warriors for Freedom. Now, limited space is available so you might want to get on top of that. Some of the other sponsors include Guarantee Broadcasting in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Eagle 98.1, Talk 107.3, and ESPN 104.5. That cluster has signed on with Warriors for Freedom to be a sponsor for this event. And the golf tournament. Now, there is a golf tournament the following day at University Club in Baton Rouge. You want to talk about a great place to go knock them around. University Club. It's going to be fantastic. You can sign up now. There are still team slots available. Go on and do that. Here's the website. WarriorsForFreedomLouisiana.org. WarriorsForFreedomLouisiana.org. Get in now, guys. Don't wait until the last minute because you're going to miss something special. Warriors weekend right here in the capital city, benefiting our military heroes. And the campaign is centered around this theme. Remember the 22. 22 military veterans a day commit suicide. We tell you every week because it is of the utmost importance. Let's protect our heroes. Let's fight for our heroes. Let's raise money to give each of them a chance to see tomorrow. Remember the 22. Warriors for Freedom, Louisiana, spell it out, dot O-R-G. Warriors for Freedom, Louisiana, dot org. And also on Facebook, you can follow me there, Clay Young. On Twitter, at Clay Young BR, as in Baton Rouge, for my friends listening in other parts of the country. And we appreciate you, those of you who have heard the show and I get feedback from other places. Uh, it's Look, it's appreciated. Maybe, maybe we'll move to a couple of shows a week. Right now, I got my hands full doing this one with everything else going on. All right, quick break, and then we're back with former newsman George Sells right here on The Clay Young Show and podcast 225.com. Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop, do-it-yourself pest control. This month, this year, John, celebrating 22 fantastic years in business. That's exactly right. Our first store opened in Baton Rouge in May of 1993. Congratulations, Thank my friend. Much. Let's talk about Formosan termites. Oh, yeah, let's do. Those are the bad boys. And actually, that season is quickly approaching. A little bit warmer weather, and you'll start seeing winged critters flying around your house. Uh, they'll be kind of light tannish color, a little bit bigger than the subterraneans. They'll look like it's a two-bodied uh, insect with mm-hmm. long wings. Mm-hmm. And if you're seeing that around your house, uh, especially at night, you want to turn the lights off because they gravitate to that, and you need to come see us. All right, let's talk about that. Where can we find you? In Metairie, we're at 3512 Severn Avenue, right next to the Pepper Mill. On the North Shore, we're at 1417 North Highway 190. That's in the same shopping center as Sherman Williams and Villarie's Florist. On the West Bank, we're on the Palco, just past the Harvey Bridge. And in Baton Rouge, we're at 806 O'Neill Lane. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. All right, welcome back. We're talking now with longtime newsman George Sells. Many of you have known George for his time on Channel 9, award-winning performance 
and he's here to talk with us now about a great number of things. Now, let me tell you before he, before I bring him in here that the George Sells that I have known for 12 years is much, much saltier than the, the genteel gentleman that you saw on the news every night. The George Sells that I knew was a ball breaker. He, was, he is something else, and he's still that guy. And so just when you will really get to hear George Sells uncensored. How are you, buddy? Well, great. Yeah, boy, I did get into a lot of trouble. As a matter of fact, when I was working in Philadelphia, Uh KYW-TV, the NBC station, uh, they had to put up a memo on the wall about, uh, it was really directed at me and at a guy named Tom Snyder, who later went on to Los Angeles. Uh And it was about cutting out the profanity on the second floor where the newsroom was located because Snyder and I used to walk around and it sounded like the docks of Philadelphia. You did that here too? No, no, not really. As, as more and more women came into the newsroom, uh, okay. I mean, they used the same language we did. Right. Uh, but yeah, fights. I mean, I've got video of me in a, a fight on the streets of Philadelphia uh, in which I came, came out the winner. Uh, with a much bigger guy. In fact, it's been described as the greatest live shot in the history of television. The trouble <laughs> is, it wasn't a live shot. That's they weren't true. doing live shots then. Uh, but the guy who made that declaration, who's now an anchor in Atlanta, uh, who worked with me then, uh, just kind of forgot that it was film. Yeah. And they filmed it. Yeah. Uh, it was a guy who attacked me with a... With a, uh, he was a security guard at the school board, and yeah. he wanted to go in and shoot video of the school board meeting in Philadelphia. And this guy, big guy, yeah. former cop, security guard, didn't want us going in. And I smarted off to him for some reason. Right. And this guy began dismantling this, this sawhorse that was to control traffic. Okay. Taking it apart, and he was going to use it on me. And um, so I'm thinking, okay, this is not good. But I knew that my cameraman was going to play it smart. He wasn't going to waste time trying to protect me. He was going to film it. He was going to film it. Yeah. Yeah. I said, Eric, be sure you got a fresh roll on there. This is (laughs) is going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I go running down the street to get some cover and let this guy uh, chase me. But the thing that I knew that nobody else knew was I smelled alcohol on him. So, And I also knew that I'd... Only, you know, a few years before gotten out of the military yeah. where we learned to kill people yeah. with our bare hands. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so I, I come down, get down behind a curb and, or behind a pole, and he takes a swing at me with a thing, and I flip him over on his back and gallantly take the stick and throw it away. And uh, I don't know what happened after that because you, you kind of your eye gonna blank out yeah you blank out yeah but you can see this city uh philadelphia city bus going by with all the all my fans watching (laughs) (laughs) duke it out that's right george (laughs) the great there so when did you first of all where where are you originally from originally from kingsport tennessee it's a one of three cities in east tennessee and it's kind of like baton rouge in Mm -hmm. that it has a lot of -of out-of-towners who are chemical engineers yeah and as a result, the education level of what otherwise would be a poor mountain town is mm-hmm. a pretty sophisticated town. So you grew up in Tennessee. What led you to want to be in broadcasting? Obviously, you were in the military first. Yeah. So what, what led you well, no, to, actually, to I was broadcasting? In, I was in broadcasting first. Oh, okay. Uh, 
I don't know what it was, Clay, but uh, my mother took pictures of me running a television station at the age of like eight or nine, in okay. which I took a, a croquet mallet and hooked it to a long stick. Yeah. And used some kind of wire, and you know what a boom microphone yeah, used to look right. like? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so. And I took a telescope and put it in backwards through a big box and made a camera. And my little brother was the talent. Okay. And I had the microphone over him and I was holding the camera. Uh, and this is like 10 years old. It kind of gave a hint. That, that you were <laughs> heading in that direction. Yeah. And that, that's kind of a foreshadowing of a lot of what you did even on camera is that I don't think people understood how much editing of your own stuff that you did, but we will get there because I know that for, I've seen you do it. So you get into broadcasting and even as a kid, you want to do it. What's the hook though? What about it? Even at that age made you think, I think this is who I am. I want to be that. I don't know. Uh, because at that time, uh, local broadcasting was not, uh, was not associated with big money. Mm-hmm. And my dad became very wealthy as the chairman of the board of the second biggest brick corporation in the world. Um, I mean, later on, it became mm -hmm. big money. As a matter of fact, my first uh, paycheck at WJBK-TV in Detroit, this very meek bookkeeper came downstairs to give me my first paycheck and said, George, uh, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to have to give you two checks because Store Broadcasting has never written a single check this big. Wow. <laughs> How much was the check? Oh, I don't know. Probably more than $250,000. Right, right, right. And right. back then, that was a lot of money. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like I told you guys, like I told you. So you get into the business. What was your first big gig in the business? Oh, the first big gig? Oh. Let's see. The, the, oh, Nashville. Nashville. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was from Tennessee. I grew up in Kingsport, but there was a real talented guy who was the program director of that Kingsport station who was plugged in with WSM radio and TV in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And he said, I got a kid who's coming out of Northwestern University up in Evanston who's going to be looking for work pretty soon. And they flew me down and got me a job in the newsroom. Okay. I wanted to be a disc jockey. You wanted to be a DJ, yeah. really? But what I discovered was, after given the time and the temperature, I couldn't think of anything to say. <laughs> <laughs> it does take talent to do that, or it takes a know-how to do yeah, it. Yeah, it, it, you got to have a, a different kind of personality. But so. the interesting thing is, talk is so much long form. It's so much more long form than just introducing a song or having something catchy to say. And you did talk radio, right? Really, I never did. You never did talk never. radio. One, I did. Well, not talk radio in terms of, uh, of as, a, as a talk show host, but didn't you do radio news at some point? Oh, yeah, I did yeah, radio news. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you a funny story about talk radio. I was forced to do it one time in Houston. I worked for KPRC-TV in Houston, okay. Channel 2. And we had a radio station downstairs at 9.50 on the dial, and they were all talk radio. And for some reason, the guy who normally did it wasn't there. So they asked me if I would do his talk shift from 9 to noon or whatever mm -hmm, the hell mm -hmm. it was. And I'm down there and trying to, and I knew none of the tricks that you guys had. Right, right. Um, and I couldn't get, I couldn't generate any calls in a city of 3 million people. Got to have a hook. You got to have a hook and you got to say something controversial. And yeah. You got to get somebody mad. 
And I had nothing because I didn't know the trick. Right. Fortunately, I was saved by God. Oh, really? Uh, we had a, we were the only station, I think, in Texas at the time that we had our own radar scope okay. for the TV station. Okay. And there's one hell of a line of thunderstorms coming up toward Houston. Ah. So I start talking about the thunderstorms and I get on the phone with the people down toward Victoria, Texas and yeah. things like that and made it a news story. But <laughs> otherwise I'd have been a dead man. But I mean, that's where talk radio to me is still most valuable. Oh, yeah. Like, say we're in Baton Rouge, no matter, no matter where you're listening to this and Today's a Tuesday in the week, but a last week. Oh, Monday, yeah. Monday. Oh, that's the day where news becomes about the moment because yeah. we had we had hurricane like storms here for about forty five minutes on that mm-hmm. Monday morning, about nine thirty in the and, city. Yeah, and that's about where you want to be if you're in the business. You want to be able to tell people what's going on. And it was really bad here. What was one of those first experiences for you where you were doing this? You know, it's a job. You're going about it. And then something major happens. And then you become almost a documentarian of what was going on. What was a big story? Uh, Probably Hurricane Agnes, which really wasn't felt down here but okay. it became an enormous rainstorm okay up uh, and, it, and it went up through west virginia and into eastern pennsylvania and caused huge huge flooding and so we uh at kyw tv in philadelphia we it used to be an nbc ono but uh, we took it upon ourselves at the behest of nbc to get a copter and go into northeastern Pennsylvania and cover the flooding. Mm-hmm. And I was right in the middle of it. And um, it, was, it was quite an experience for me. I was familiar with helicopters, but I wasn't familiar with that bigger disaster. Okay. And, by the way, I was working with my first black photographer. Ah. And I said, well, this guy can't be any good. He's black. Uh, <laughs> well, it turns out he's one of the best photographers. That's exactly right. That's a sense of humor I was telling you all about, too. <laughs> I forgot what his name was, but he wore a pork pie hat. He was fabulous. But, I mean, we are flying over the city of Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, a city, I, I guess, besides uh, Allentown is right next to it. Right. But it's about the size of Bat- Metro Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. And the entire downtown area is flooded. All the buildings are covered up to about the second floor. And gas lines are broken and fires are leaping out of the ground right. or out of the water. Right. And uh, we're circling and taking pictures of that. And our biggest uh, problem was there were no satellites available at that time. Right. Um, we circle two or three times and get shots of that, and go over to Allentown, and get shots of that. And uh, I wanted to land and get something of, of real people. You know, you don't you don't make a story on pictures from the air. You got to get something on the land. Mm-hmm. And we got on the ground and we got the typical uh, comments from people, but we had to make it quick. Okay. So a guy offers his boat to take us out to a little island area, or what was an island area that day, mm-hmm. and uh, he fouled his prop on his, on his outboard, and we wrote, he wrote us back in. I got his name, told him the station would pay for it. We went back, fed the film to NBC, used it for our own use, and I give this bill to my news director, 
who is now probably dead and in hell, uh, <laughs> and said, this guy, given, doing us a, a favor, took us out, and uh, we got great pictures in the water. He fouled his outboard motor, which I think was a 25-horsepower Johnson, which was a big one back in that day, and I want to reimburse him for repairs. Right. Fernandi says, no way. Mike, you're kidding. This guy, you know, ruins his own equipment trying to do us a favor. Right. Guy never got his money. Wow. I sent him a little bit of my own. But, uh, uh, but so here I am in this stupendous story. And we went back two more days. We were going to go back a fourth day with the same chopper. And uh, El Cheapo in the news director's office wouldn't, mm -hmm. wouldn't buy a fourth day. NBC wouldn't pay us for doing it. So a CBS crew got a hold of it, of the chopper, and they were taken off from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and the rotor blade broke on takeoff at the Harrisburg airport, and it crashed in flames and killed all four people on board. Wow. So I kind of thanked my boss for being yeah. too cheap for us to go for yeah, four days. Yeah, you would have died in that helicopter yeah. uh, crash. Helicopters, when you fly them in what they call the utility category, uh, you're putting a hell of a strain right. on those blades. Uh, you get them going forward, then the weight load is distributed uh, more evenly in the chopper. So you have these experiences early on in the business. So you started off in Tennessee. That was your first big gig. And you go from there to where? Uh, Nashville. And by the way, I was in the newsroom and they were paying me peanuts. Yeah. Uh, that's just the way pay was there in the South at that time. Yeah. So to make extra money, they made me an announcer Saturday nights on the Grand Ole Opry. Really? I, I was the youngest announcer in the history of the Grand Ole Opry. Do you remember any of those spills, any of those things that you had to say on the air? Do you remember any of oh, them? Oh, yeah. You got one you could give us here right now? Something a, a you could spill? Well, I mean, I worked with Hank Snow. Yeah. And it was it was pretty much scripted. It was yeah. the Coca-Cola show. So you were bringing on talent, or were yeah. you doing the it, it, intro, outro to breaks, or what were you doing? Well, it's live on okay. the stage at, yeah. the, at that time at the Ryman Auditorium. Oh, okay, so it's live performances. Oh, yeah. And, uh, of course, I was a little nervous, and Hank knew I was nervous. Yeah. And, and they always, always called me son because I was all of 21 at the right. time. Right, right. And, um, uh, no, they're, they're just... Hank would and his group would start playing their theme for their half-hour segment, right? And it was paid for by Coca-Cola, and and I would come on and say something like, "Now the next portion of the Grand Ole Opry brought to you by Coca-Cola, and here he is the home of such and such kind of music, Hank So." And then we you know, put our hands up <laughs> to get the audience to applaud. Right, right, right. And uh, then I'd read the live live commercials. What was the most, uh, before you got here and in your time, you, you also worked at, was it ABC? Yeah. You worked at ABC. You know, when you got into there, tell us a little bit about that. How, how'd you get into there? What was the experience like? Uh, you know, how did it work out? Well, the guy who is credited with inventing Eyewitness News in New York actually invented it, practiced it, perfected it in Philadelphia okay. at our station, a guy named Al Primo. And uh, when Al got to New York and put it on WABC, and it was just a huge success. Well, you even had Eye Eyewitness News at Channel 2 here. Right. Every town had yeah. Eyewitness News. 
So Al uh, invited me to come up to Channel 7 in New York when my paper expired in Philly. But then something happened in the summer of 72, and that were the, was the Munich Games uh, in the Olympics. Okay. And suddenly all bets were off. I mean, everybody was focused suddenly on that and terrorism and uh, all those Israeli athletes killed. And New York is a very Jewish city. And uh, so their focus was very much more on the Olympics than... On Munich, yeah. Yeah, than on a new wasp. Right. White Anglo-Saxon Protestant yeah. uh, reporter. And then I looked back and I noticed that uh, all of Al's reporters, or almost all of them, were, were, had some ethnicity, like Rose, Roseanne Scamardella, mm-hmm. who they used to call on Saturday Night Live, Roseanne Rosanna Dana. Um, and so I said, well, I'm not going to fit. Um, and he said, man, I'd, fit you, I'd take you in a New York minute, but things have really changed. Right. So he had me sitting around in his office and... Uh, he said, I'll get you up here somehow. Uh, and so he said, I'm going I'm to hook you up with a guy named Tom O'Brien who handles the correspondence for the network. He said he's a pain in the ass, but, uh, <laughs> but he's talented and he, uh, uh, he's going to need some people. I'll send you over there. But in the meantime, I sat around Al's office, met Peter Jennings, shot the bull with him and, and two or three other guys, watched Jennings give somebody the hot foot, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting there with your shoes propped up on the right. desk. You light a match. You know, yeah. And, I mean, <laughs> they were a bunch of kids. So Jennings, was he was he a prankster? Yeah. But he was, I, I admired the hell out of him. Yeah. And uh, he had to do a thing for radio. They put me over on the radio side for a while because I had, because I wasn't a star, I had to be paid the union rate only. Right. And that meant base pay, which back then, if you translate it into today's dollars, um, base afterpay would have been, oh, maybe $75,000 a year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in New York, that's not very much. No, that's even not much. Then, uh, yeah. Uh, and the, and not the, a hell of a lot here right now. Yeah. The fee for one network story on television was, oh, in today's dollars, maybe $190 or something like that. But to do one radio newscast was like a hundred dollars yeah and some days i'd do four radio newscasts mm-hmm. in a day mm-hmm. and so that's where the money was so right. i happily spent most of my time at radio uh but when i did television it was very satisfying i went <laughs> when for ted koppel he did a yeah. newscast on saturdays ted koppel was a nobody at that yeah. time yeah and he did a weekend newscast and they sent me up to East Hartford or West Hartford, Connecticut, where a former member of the, no, a current member of the cabinet of Idi Amin. Idi Amin. The terrorist, uh, not the terrorist, the terrorful. Some people in his country might consider him a terrorist. Mm. I mean, he ate the the babies of his foes. Oh, he was just terrible. Yeah. This guy was in his cabinet. Yeah. And I've forgotten what he was, minister of transportation this guy was or something like that. And uh, our, Zimbabwe, correct? Uh, no, Uganda. Uganda, that's right. Yeah. Uganda, Uganda. Somehow, uh, that's uh, Zimbabwe is uh, is uh, Robert Mugabe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, somehow he uh, 
somebody on our desk or Koppel himself, I don't know, found this guy and asked if he'd be willing to do an interview with us. Mm -hmm. uh, and the guy said, yes. But we didn't have anybody to send up there. Uh, so they sent me with a crew, and they put us in an airplane, flew out of LaGuardia at like 2 in the afternoon, and the show was at uh, 6 or 6.30. And back in those days, you had to wait for processing a film and stuff like that. Right. And this guy, in this interview with me, now was a pretty pushy questioner, <laughs> but confessed that Idi Amin was a cruel man and he was afraid of him. And I don't know what happened to him, but I never heard from him again. Yeah. <laughs> Idi Amin was a butcher. I yeah. Mean, he, and there are many of those butchers that still exist on that continent. I guess he thought he was talking to a local guy. Yeah. And it would never get out. Yeah. But within three hours, it was on a national news. <laughs> That's case. right. He's talking to, a, to, the, to the network. So, you know, you're in this business. It, what about it? Because as long as I've known you, you've always loved it. Yeah. Like not just being on camera and delivering it on camera, the minutia behind the scenes, the the details that other people may not want to get. You've always wanted to know those things and be able to have that one nugget that you may not get from someone else reading prompter. You had something that was kind of off the cuff that you knew. Where did the passion for the business come from? I really don't know, but I couldn't imagine anything else. I can't sell. Uh, for instance, you know, a lot of guys, sure. well, you, you can sell. I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, very well, <laughs> as I look around the room here. Uh, I can't sell. I, I, can't, I can't touch the idea of, of going and taking the rejection, number sure, one, or sure. asking somebody to buy radio time. Yeah. You know, my wife is fabulous yeah. at it. She, uh, she was the head of the... Uh, Baton Rouge Women in Media That's later right. became president and built them to their biggest membership That's ever. Right. Sandy Sells. Um, uh, my father was basically a salesman. My brother is basically a salesman and has made himself a millionaire several times over. But I just couldn't do it. So what else is there to do? I can't think of a thing in the world I'd rather but do. But I think with a last name like Sells, <laughs> <laughs> I think that the, the best media people are salesmen they sell you the credibility of what they're talking about because you think about it we say things like the most trusted name in news mm -hmm. trust is a function of selling something people believe in what you're selling and I think people turned to you for all of those years across the country and certainly here in Baton Rouge because they believed when you said it it was so and I've always told people that sales has been really hoard out by people who are manipulators because a really good salesperson partners with the people that they're selling something to. People enter into a deal to win, whether it's buying a car or a television or a refrigerator or a couch or whatever you want to win. And the effective salesman or saleswoman gets you the best possible deal, so good that you'll come back. Mm -hmm. And coming back constitutes a relationship. Yeah. And the relationship means business. They're happy and you make money. And sales is always at its core a 50-50 proposition. I have to win and you have to win. Mm -hmm. And if, if I get 100% of the deal and you get 0% of the 
what you want. You're never coming back. And you're going to tell everybody over the town, across the city, whatever city it is, that guy ought to go to hell. He's a, he screws you out of your money. And media, what I don't find now are the credible sources that I believe. Really? I see, I see, there are a few of them, but I see so many prima donnas who are more concerned about how they look when they're delivering the information as opposed to giving me the information that I want. And I'm different. I only want to know the who, what, when, where, and why. Mm. Now, that's different from a lot of people. They wa- I want to know the details. Maybe because I've spent 20 years doing it, it's a little different. But what I got from you, what I've gotten from a few national figures, is it wasn't about the panache. It was more about this is the information, and it's right, as opposed to we were first. Oh, yeah. And now yeah. we're apologizing because we were first, but... We were wrong. So, so, so for you, you know, tell me about that. Talk me through that. Your philosophy, because I've seen you put stories together. I've seen you get the details. You and I have talked back channel about things. Where did that come from? That ethic about, I don't just want to be first. I want to be right. Well, it, 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 it's so basic. I mean, yeah. I guess maybe part of it's going to the Medill School of Journalism uh, in Chicago. Uh, where, I mean, that's a basic. Yeah. It's Journalism A01. Um, but I'll tell you what, I've worked with some news directors, the last of whom, uh, who was a real heavy hitter and got us to our point where we were had four times the audience. Vicki Zimmerman. WB, yeah, four times the audience of WBRZ TV. Yeah. Um, was do the story, but do as little harm as possible. Yeah. And that, that tends to keep you honest. Yeah. But she says, I, I still want some sizzle. Yeah. And that's what makes me ask for the, the other detail. The photographers all had a joke among themselves that we are going to, sh- I've just, or they'll say to themselves, I have just shot a fabulous story. There's no reporter with me. Now I've got to gather some facts and I've got to figure out. Everything that George sells is going to ask me, and I'm going to forget something that he, he wanted. And I always do. And he asks for one thing that I didn't, mm-hmm. didn't get. And all I'm looking for is that one little nugget you were talking about. Right. And that one little nugget is, is handy. Oh, there are a million ways you can do it. You can use it in a tease. Sure. Uh, but I can tell you where that can cause problems. Hmm. There was a reporter here at our station... African-American reporter, natural nose for news. He's now very successful in, uh, in Houston. And he... Oh, I know who you're talking uh, about. Yeah, yeah. Not, we won't say the name, but I know who you're talking we about. We love the guy. Yeah. Uh, but he was going out and, and, and doing stories and, and being very positive. He was very happy about everything yeah. that, that these wonderful people were doing in the legislature and in the school system and in the mayor's office. And I said, listen, I don't care if it's a church service you're covering, but you always got to put one little something in there that says something bad about them, hmm. whether it's parking was problem or, or just put something in there. Now why? So, so, you're, so you don't look like you're a whore uh, oh. for the person you're doing the story on. Put something in there that shows that, look, yes. These that it's are, not a puff piece. Yeah. Yeah. That it's not a commercial. Yeah. That uh, you say something or the air conditioning didn't work or something. 
Well, because people are so cynical by nature. Yeah. yeah. I got you. Interesting. But here's what happened that was so funny. Okay. Apparently, this guy, I love him. <laughs> but in fact, a lot of people in the station put more credence in what I said than I later came to realize. He, <laughs> he, yeah, absolutely. He went out and did a story on some neutral thing, and I've forgotten what it was. But he tore these people a new asshole. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, jeez. I mean, it was a, it was, it was a middle-of-the-road story, but they didn't deserve the beating he gave them. <laughs> Yeah, so so he to took go, what you said to the extreme. Yeah, to the other side. And so we had to go out the next day and, and do clean it up. <laughs> and I've forgotten how we did it. Uh, but we did it so that it didn't look like we were apologizing or that he had done anything wrong because everything he said was accurate. Right. But damn it to hell, you, <laughs> you got to balance it out. You know, Vicky once said to me, it's so amazing. We had a conversation in one of the offices there. And I don't know why it came up slogans and, you know, Fox News, the network says fair and balanced. Yeah. And Vicky says the news is not supposed to be fair or balanced. It needs to just be the truth. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, you think about it. It's simplistic, but it's so profound. When you when you read a newspaper article, I just want the details. And I told you this story yesterday when we were on the phone that I could remember the Saturday that the Exxon explosion happened, gosh, it's got to be almost 20 years ago now. And uh, I felt it in Point QP. I mean, felt it. Felt, felt the, the explosion. The, the explosion. Yeah, I mean, Christmas it, of 89. It was so massive. That's right. Gosh. And so I could remember after a little while uh, turning on AFB and WAFB and you were on middle of the day, Saturday. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. And we wanted to know what was going on. I mean, this is South Louisiana. There are no earthquakes here. <laughs> it's December, so it's not hurricane season. And the sun was shining outside. And I think it's moments like that where everything else goes out of the window. And the only thing that matters is the story mm -hmm. and getting it right. So... Do you think people still care as much about getting it right? Oh, yeah, I think they, they do, yeah. Uh, but but the, you're right. They're more impressed with uh, getting more details on the air first. Mm. WBRZ, for instance, got copter shots on the air before we did. We didn't worry about it. We just went ahead and did our thing. But I'll tell you what's happening now, Clay, that, that just scares the daylights out of me and would not, uh, I don't know whether I could handle it. Mm. Um, my son, for instance, is a reporter. That's right. For uh, G3. Yeah. G5, uh, G4. G4. That's yeah. right. You're, you're, you're G3. G3. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he works for Fox in St. Louis. Okay. And in big cities, Fox stations most of the time beat the hell out of the regular network Absolutely. stations on the early news. And um, a typical day for George is to go out, cover a basic big story, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then do a live shot for the noon show on Channel 2 in St. Louis. Meanwhile, Twitter out details, write a story for, um, 
for the web, then turn around and change the story around a little bit for the other station that, uh, that Fox owns in St. Louis. Right. And do that on the 1 o'clock news on channel, I think it's 11 in St. Louis. Right. Then he has time to go out and sweeten up the story, get more interviews, more angles, better views, et cetera, and do it again at 5, and then do it again at 6. Meanwhile, updating with Twitter every single new fact Aren't you glad you don't have to deal with Twitter and Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> so, meanwhile, who's making the phone calls? Who's, who's checking the facts? Well, thank God my son is much smarter than I am, and... Uh, and he can gather all this stuff in and still bring it off. But it's not as much fun. That's, yeah. I worked all my life to get off the street. Oh, yeah, by the well, way, I want to tell you a real quick story okay. that's funny. You mentioned the name Sells and how it plays to the name Sales. Yeah. I've worked my career with two different names. Okay. And uh, a lot of people don't know the difference. Right. Um, my name is George Sells. Right. And when I got to Philadelphia and arrived at Eyewitness News, I said, sales ain't going to work because Soupy Sales, the comedian, was on opposite our 6 o'clock right. news. you got to have another name. Well, I kind of like the name. No, you can't be George Sales. You're going to have to be somebody else. What's your middle name? I said Caldwell. Caldwell, right. Okay. From henceforth, you are George Caldwell. Uh, I said, okay, and, and it did, didn't really cause a problem. But then when I go to New York, because ABC had a very big audience mm -hmm. in the fourth biggest market in the country, I had to keep the name Caldwell. Mm. And then when I went to KPRC in Houston, the ABC station was very strong. Right. I had to keep the name Caldwell. Right. And when I go to Denver, <laughs> uh, NBC had a very big audience, and, and Caldwell was pretty well known by this time. So I had to keep the name Caldwell. It was only when I got to Detroit that the head research showed that people with one-syllable names, like Shaw, Young, are easier to remember. Right. And so I got to go back to Sells, and I brought it down here. And right. the news director down here had the... Was that Vicky at the time when oh, you no. got here? It wasn't no. Vicky. No. Who was it when you got here? Carlton Premise. That's right. That's right. And Carlton was one hell of a newsman That's with, right. with no resources. But he he was smart enough to know... Well, AFB was in a chase when you got here. Well, they, they had been behind yeah, for so many years. Absolutely. But, but they were coming up close. Yeah. And they had actually knocked off BRZ in a couple of books. Knock, knocked them off, but gotten a little ahead of them. Sure. Uh, but he also said they'd always been coloring my hair mm -hmm. to brown, which it had always been. Uh, but I, I was prematurely gray. They started coloring my hair in Houston. And, and Carlton very wisely said, let's go gray. Mm -hmm. Let's go your natural color. Mm -hmm. Well, it turned out to be a godsend. I yep. was the only gray-haired guy in town. Became and, iconic here in yeah, town. Yeah. And we're able to do it coming in after Frank Hudson, who had had the job yeah. before you. And I remembered the first time I saw you. First time I saw you was on the 10, I believe. I don't think I... I just for whatever I was doing. And the difference, because 
Frank Hudson was a softer delivery. Mm-hmm. You know, he was an athletic looking guy, softer delivery. And here you come with broad shoulders and baritone voice and just kind of looking into the camera thinking, you know, I'm going to grab you around the scruff of the collar and tell you what the hell the news is and you're going to love it. <laughs> and and it was good. But the, the most important thing was it was lunch pail like. And what I mean by that is it wasn't any real frills. It was just solid. It was consistent. And I think what happened is over time it became the standard. And you know this just with what you did. I mean, you were able to be funny and serious, and it's something that's often missing. You know, you see Charlie Rose sitting at the desk now on CBS in, uh, this morning, and he does the job. He, he looks into the camera, and he is a traditional anchor style, which is different from what he does on his PBS show. That's a lot more laid back. Of course, Charlie has never been a, a bag of giggles, but, <laughs> but, but I mean, in the morning, he's more, I'm just going to tell you what's going on. Mm. And I think that this is their best shot to compete now. And I see that Les Moonves has renewed them to stay around for a while. What governed your style when you got, first of all, what was your impression of Baton Rouge when you got here? Uh, well, I knew about the heat because I lived in, <laughs> yeah. in Houston for three years. Yeah. Uh, I used to kid that uh, when they when they brought me to Houston, Mrs. Harvey, uh, uh, you know, the, the family which owned the TV station, yeah. they had failed to tell me about uh, uh, St. Augustine grass. Yeah. I yeah. came down here with a, a push real lawnmower I'd been using in Scarsdale, New York. Worked the hell out of you, didn't it? <laughs> out of Sandy. <laughs> Sandy cut the grass. <laughs> Sandy cut the grass. Uh, How'd you work that deal? <laughs> oh, she loves you. Really? Work. Is that right? Yeah. And here's this uh, gorgeous yeah. woman in yeah, shorts yeah. cutting grass with, <laughs> with a real moor, St. Augustine grass. Well, that ended pretty quick. Yeah, I know it did. <laughs> I was going to say, that would never work at the house. But uh, Well, what I found in Houston when I arrived there, it was in, uh, I don't know, 80, no, 70, 78. Uh, I loved it because it finally got me. I would have left ABC anyway. Uh, I mean, the pay was good. We mm-hmm. loved New York. But we were always talking about news that didn't involve us or our hometown. Right. It always involved somewhere else, somewhere else. St. Petersburg, uh, Tel Aviv, uh, London. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get back in local TV. Yeah. And I got that in Houston. Uh, but I did find that Southern reporters at least TV reporters, and I guess it was everybody, were too damn polite. Hmm. And uh, there was a news conference. See, they tried to sneak me into Houston, just like they snuck me into Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. You might remember they brought me here, and the first time you ever saw me probably was at the Republican National Convention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of anchored from that, and I right. could have been anybody. Sure. And they thought I was a network guy that yeah. they hired. Um, but they asked me to cover a couple of news conferences. In, this in was Houston. 88? E- 88, no, I No, the first time I was in Houston was in 78. No, no, no. I mean when you, when you came here. Yeah, I came here in 88. 88, yeah. The Republican yeah. Convention in New Orleans. Yeah. But in 78, when I went to Houston, they sent me out on a couple of uh, news conferences, and I've forgotten what it was. It was a, it was a news conference with a, the Israeli ambassador or some damn thing, but, but it was important at the time. And all these local newspapers are standing around, around with basically thumbs up their ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And I started getting aggressive with the questioning. And, and how can you say that when, and I was really mean and impolite and rude. In other words, you did your job. Yeah, and they weren't doing their job. Yeah. Uh, and it was not because they couldn't. I mean, they were, they were damn good. Afraid to. I don't know whether it was afraid or just a basic Southern politeness. Um, I find that people here often just don't want to, off- in, the, in the business, don't often want to offend. And I, it's really not my job to care about that. I think you have to get the answer to the question. Right? Isn't, is that not correct? Yeah, well, yes. Yeah. In, in the ideal situation, but yeah. sometimes you don't get it by being yeah. polite. That's, and that's the point. It's like sometimes you have to press to get an answer because you know how it is. People, politicians are taught to talk for 90 seconds and say yeah. nothing. And they, they, they kind of rope-a-dope you. They talk so long that the interview time runs out and they never have to say anything. And I just interrupt them. Yeah. Well, that's the thing to do. Now, probably I anticipated that you might ask, what's the biggest thing you ever did that affected the history of this country sure. would be another news conference in Houston in, I guess, in 78. Okay. Um, John Tower, the Republican senator, mm-hmm. was running against a pretty good guy, um, a Democratic Party representative named, uh, um, oh, what's his name? Um, I can't even remember his name now. I did when I drove in here. I was going to bring a tape of it. Uh, Kruger. Uh, Bob Kruger. Yeah. And it was a big deal, and all the national media were covering. CNN had not come along yet. Mm-hmm. So all the networks were there. This is going to be the last time these two guys would be on the same platform. And... Um, and all the other stations in the state also were there, the big stations. And Kruger was telling the truth when he had some campaign literature that implied that Tower was a dirty old man who it was an ass pincher on elevators, mm-hmm. which he was. Mm. But he used as his source the Carnes City Bulletin, the Carnes City, Texas Bulletin. So I called him on it and said, you're making these allegations about Senator Tower, and the best source you can give me is the Carnes City Bulletin? Now, you got to remember back in those days, CNN did not exist. Right. And so all the networks, all three of the major networks. ABC, NBC, CBS. In the week before the election, they would take the big state Senate races that were close and run two-and-a-half-minute packages yes. on each of those states. And on the same night, all three networks, on the Thursday before the election, which was polling close, mm-hmm. uh, ran that piece on Kruger and Tower. And the same bite with me beating Kruger up. Oh, wow. They played this thing. See, but this is the thing. I could bring you the tape, the audio tape, and you... Well, yeah, he, yeah, he melted under you. But what was best was the ABC cameraman there was a guy I'd worked with before, and he knew my tactics. Mm-hmm. So as I started working on Kruger, he started zooming in on Kruger. Mm-hmm. And as it got worse and worse for Kruger, you could see Kruger swallow like a kid caught with a 
a little mouse in wow. the classroom. Gotcha. My cameraman, uh, who won the National Press Association Photographers Award like three or four times, had worked with me almost exclusively. He knew what I was doing, and the CBS cameraman saw what was going on, and he just did it by good instinct. Mm-hmm. So on all three networks, <laughs> the Thursday before the election, Kruger melts from some smart-ass reporter uh, <laughs> on national television. Yeah. And so he lost that election one and a half percentage points. Wow. And so I know, I mean, I, I, if it had been a, a wider margin or anything like that, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to say that I did it. But I did it. But the media does that. So here's what I want to do. There is so much we're going to get into, and I, George has already agreed to join us on a couple of occasions in addition to this to talk about this. I do want to have you back. Now, next week's show will feature a conversation with Senator Bill Cassidy, which should be very, very interesting. We have a lot to talk about, but I want to have you back after that. Sure. And we're going to do a couple of these and, and then bring some sound and we can talk about because we haven't really gotten into a lot of what happened with you at, at uh, WAFB, but I wasn't, I didn't want to rush that. I want to take my time to get to that. And then we'll talk about a lot of what you've done after that. See, you and I have had these kinds of conversations before, but I want to let people in to seeing what kind of guy you are. And I'll say this before we end, you know, this segment and, and then go on to the next. The thing that most impressed me about the way that you were the first time I met you was that in this town, you were the standard for news, but you never really lost your grip on the ground. And, and what I mean by that is you could joke with the best of them. You could zing with the best of them. And quite frankly, I knew I had to be on my A game because you were going to throw shots and I needed to throw them back at you. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it's, it's really good to hear this perspective. But I'll ask you this one question and let you answer it and then we'll end and we'll do another one. In this first phase of you being in media, the memory that most comes to mind is what? Oh, there's so many. Being shot at in Philadelphia, uh, there, was a, there was a standoff, helicopter overhead, a man in a building firing shots into the crowd, and I was able to weave my way a little bit closer than anybody else. And my sound man kept standing up. He was an old guy. And I said, I grabbed him by the belt and said, damn it to hell, Ray, get up down. We're not going to get any audio. Uh, <laughs> and really, if, if he'd been shot, right. we'd lose the audio. Uh, there was no real fear, but it was a big deal. And I did not know until later when I was told by police, the guy was targeting me. <laughs> because I was the familiar face. Wow. I mean, there were news dogs all over the place, but yeah. he was shooting for me. Thank God he was just a bad shot. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a place to wrap it up, ladies and gentlemen. George Sells will get him back in a couple of weeks. George, thank you so much, my friend. Good to be here. If we could show you the newly redesigned 2016 Acura ILX, we'd open on a tight shot of our signature July LED headlights piercing through the darkness as a stormy fog rolls in. Next, we cut inside the cabin, panning over the dashboard to the available dual-panel control system, both of the high-tech screens glowing, awaiting command. Then we move across the sleek lines of the ILX's redesigned exterior. Light falls against its aggressive curves as its 2.4-liter engine revs with anticipation. 
Finally, we'd slowly zoom in on the ILX badge and then poof, it's gone. It's 8-speed dual-clutch transmission in full effect before charging out of view. But because we can't show you any of this, you'll just have to see the lightning quick ILX for yourself. Come into your local Acura dealer for a test drive. The new 2016 Acura ILX. Catch it if you can. Visit Acura of Baton Rouge, 13550 Airline Highway, or get information online at AcuraBR.com. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Well, I told you it was going to be pretty good. I look forward to talking with George again. I've got so many questions for him about Louisiana incidents. Hurricane Andrew, I think that was back in 91, 92. And we'll talk about his time on the air when Hurricane Katrina happened. We'll talk about a couple of the elections that went on. We'll get his thoughts on Edwin Edwards. He told me the greatest story about Edwin Edwards. Now, maybe not the greatest story because I've heard some good ones, but this one's a pretty funny one. And I had a couple of my own to tell him from my experience interviewing the former governor. So we'll talk about that. A lot of Louisiana politics. We'll get his thoughts on media today and what he thinks about this, the, the current political landscape as it as it is. He's got opinions about all of that, things that he couldn't really say when he was on the air, but you you will get to hear it. However, next week's guest will be U.S. Senator Dr. Bill Cassidy. That's right. We're going to talk about last year's election, talk a little bit about politics in Washington. We'll talk some about the perception of his campaign last year, the perception of America going forward. There are a number of issues ahead of Congress right now, and we'll get his thoughts on all of that. If you've got a question for the senator, send him to me on Facebook, direct message me there, or you can contact me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR, at ClayYoungBR. Or you can go to the website, podcast225.com, click on that contact link, and then you can send me a question or a thought or anything directly there. We appreciate you guys listening to the show every week. You matter. If there's a guest you'd like us to get that we haven't talked about, let me know and we'll get her done. All right. Have a fantastic rest of your day. If you're listening to this at the end of the week, enjoy the weekend. If you're catching us at the beginning of a week, have a hell of a week. Get it done, and we'll see you next time on The Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com. U.S. Senator Bill Cassidy on next week's show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.